Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 415th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Coming to you on Voice America Business Channel, and we're broadcasting across the world in this our ninth year from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood Capital, Hollywood Capital, Hollywood, California. This is where technology meets entertainment. Last week I was overseas and I flew about twenty thousand miles, sitting on aeroplanes, and one of the things that really annoys me is how much time people spend in aeroplane bathrooms. People go to the bathroom, they put on makeup, they change their clothes, and God knows what else they do. And their whole aim, I'm sure, is just to inconvenience as many people as possible. Well, attention bathroom loiterers. The next generation of Airbus aircraft is going to track how long you spend in the loo. Not before time. And it's all a part of an effort to make commercial cabins a digitally aware domain. The Airbus Connected Experience aims to give flight attendants a much more detailed survey of the cabin with sensors for such criteria as when the bathroom soap is running low and how much toilet paper remains in each bathroom. But the rethinking of the passenger environment doesn't just stop with the toilet. At each seat, your belt will signal red for unbuckled and green when fastened. The goal is faster boarding and departure, dispensing with those lap scrutinising walks up and down the aisles that flight attendants have to perform. And the crew also has access to information on what's on board and where, like which galley carts contain specific meals, such as pre-orders or vegetarian suggestions. It's not a concept. It's not a dream. It's reality. Airbus has begun flight testing the connected cabin on its A350 aircraft and plans to introduce it on the A321 family next year, followed by the larger two-aisle planes two years later. As cool as all this may seem to you, the passenger, it's just another way for airlines to squeeze more profit out of operations. While data from these various areas will be sent to flight attendant tablets or smartphones and do it in real time, the crunching of that data over time is where the real value lies. The connectivity Airbus envisions for its cabins will provide an enormous trove of information that airlines are going to be able to use to analyse and optimise their never-ending quest for cost efficiency. From the time it takes a flight attendant to respond to a call button, you know, while somebody offers their preference for Prosecco versus Chardonnay, and then which bathroom gets the most use, this is all information that can help optimise all aspects of flight. Airbus believes they can make the service more attentive, 
And while the digital technology is expected to simplify flight attendants' workloads, their true value may lie in giving airlines more insights about what happens in the cabin. Airbus also plans to offer airlines the option of cameras on the outside of each lavatory to count how many passengers are waiting and how long they're waiting, a feature which may help flight attendants redirect some of that traffic on larger jets. So now the flight attendants are going to be, um, what do you call them, traffic cops on bathroom usage. (laughs) Jeez. The data will also show airlines the length of wait times and on different aircraft types, and I'm all for that. More seriously, it can also alert a flight attendant that somebody inside the bathroom may need assistance. The crew will also be able to control features such as window shades and public address volume from their mobile devices. And the system will know which overhead bin spaces are open with green lights along the cabin. It'll be just like driving into one of those car parks without the red and green lights. It'll be exactly the same. And that, in theory, in theory, anyway, should speed boarding. Now, as far as Airbus is concerned, the cabin's platform is open so customer airlines can attach their own queue applications or other software. Many large carriers have customised or proprietary software for such onboard tasks as catering. God, talk about big brothers watching you. They're now watching you at 35,000 feet. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes about 30 seconds every day to read it. We tackle a different subject every single day. We never repeat, ever. We talk about new medicines, new apps, new technology, Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, and um, you know Netflix and all the other things that are happening that concern us. And tomorrow's newsletter is about a four-day work week, which is on the way. Some of the world's most productive countries, like Norway, Denmark, Germany, and the Netherlands, on average work around 27 hours a week. On the other hand, Japan, which are notorious for overworked employees, work more than anybody else, and yet their productivity is down near the bottom of the productivity table. So just because you work longer doesn't mean you work better. The one media vehicle you can trust for the latest for up-to-date business information is the Bob Pritchard newsletter. And to receive it, you simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. It's as easy as that. It takes you 30 seconds. And the good thing about it is, if you get it and you decide you don't like it, I mean, you'd have to be some, something strangely wrong with you to have something against education. But, you know, if you did not like it, then you just simply click unsubscribe and you are instantly gone. I don't know about you, but I get a whole bunch of newsletters every day that you can't get rid of no matter what you do, no matter what you click or how many times you click it, you keep getting it. So we've solved that problem. 
Now, on a summer's day in 2016, two recent high school graduates, Nick Hamburger and Jack Schreira, were sitting around cooking omelettes. For Schreira, who was a type 1 diabetic, egg whites were a favourite smack, snack, particularly the crispy bird edges. So in the kitchen, the friends asked a question. I wonder if it's possible to make a healthy chip out of egg whites. Zach had to account for every gram of carbohydrate that he ate, being a diabetic. He couldn't even enjoy a bag of chips without having to give himself an insulin shot. So the duo spent the next two years testing out hundreds of ingredients and different cooking processes before they struck culinary gold. And in 2018, they dropped out of college and launched Quavos, the first egg white-based chip. The snack was so good that it earned them a 50000 investment from Kraft, Kraft Heinz probably, $72,000 in pre-orders in Kickstarter, and more recently, a $925,000 angel round. The good news, now they're in more than 250 retail stores and they're using their funds to ramp up manufacturing capacity and fine-tune their chips. How cool is that? So I, I wish them all the best. I hope they're very successful. Not that I'm going to be eating egg white chips, but it sounds good. Now, I've never been a great fan of TikTok, but this is enough to make you even less of a fan. A bombshell report from The Guardian suggests that ByteDance, which is the Beijing-based tech titan that owns TikTok, is promoting a Chinese agenda to young app users around the world, and they do this by censoring content. According to documents leaked to The Guardian, TikTok has a long list of banned topics that include people, both um, political figures, sports figures and celebrities, religious groups. There's a whole heap of historical events you can't speak about. And I guess Tiananmen Square would be one of them. You can't talk about cultural movements. All these things are banned. So TikTok's been censoring discussion of the protests in Hong Kong, which they don't want anybody to know about, although the cat's out of the bag now because it reflects very badly on Hong Kong. And I love Hong Kong. It's terrific. But what's going on there is atrocious. Searches using hashtag Hong Kong bring up silly sing-alongs, which the Chinese government has inserted. And that certainly isn't the story there where they're mowing down people with rubber bullets and bean bags and water cannons and now just lately, real bullets. And ByteDance says the guidelines were retired in May and that the company still has since implemented a localised approach to content moderation, meaning that local moderators keep tabs on local talent. It just means they have a whole bunch more moderators banning content on a whole bunch more networks. That's all it moved. 
So even with the new content moderation politics, it's still unclear what TikTok users outside of China will and won't be able to post. So this is going to be really interesting because TikTok is picking up steam globally. And during the first half of 2018, TikTok was the iOS app's most downloaded app worldwide. And it remains particularly popular with the under 25s. It is a big, big, big deal. But it's censored. And they're only telling you what they want you to hear. So if you're young and you're getting all your news and information from TikTok, you are being brainwashed. In 2007, Mark Zuckerberg said, young people are just smarter. Well, now seniors and middle-aged Americans are getting revenge. A latest poll showed that people over 50 are becoming entrepreneurs at twice the rate of millennials. Under 30, only 4% of new projects are started by millennials. 4% of millennials start new projects. Senior Planet, which MIT Technology Reviews call, Review calls the tech-savviest retirement community on Earth, is a post-60 co-working space and instruction centre and our clients learn how to build online businesses and pitch potential investors. Becoming an entrepreneur is often a need because many people share Zuckerberg's view. Studies have shown that employers are far less likely to call back older clients, particularly women. So success stories at Senior Planet involve everything from fab- fabric to food businesses to artists. In his 50s, Kelvin Ramsey ended his insurance career to chase a screenwriting dream. After managing to get a book and play published, he went to Senior Planet, learned computer skills, and is now a well-known writer with 37,000 Facebook fans. So how's that? And I read the other day that uh, 64% of all new businesses are started by over people over 50 and only 4% by under people under 30. Lonnie Foss Schroeder is co-founder of fintech company Cashworks. She's vice chairman of Volvo Cars. She's the director of IKEA, senior vice president at Mola Maersk, the world's largest shipping company, as you probably know. And she's also CEO of Swiss-based Concordium, which regularly, which enables regulatory compliance, allowing business to harness the power of blockchain technology. It's a plug and play, and it's brilliant, and it's leading the world, and it's Swiss. And I'll be back with Lona Schroeder in just a moment. Do 
you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past nine and a half years, we've given you an insight into the lives of nearly 400 of the world's most interesting and successful business leaders and entrepreneurs. We've talked about their initiatives We've spoken to them about how they operate, the challenges that they've faced, and we try to ascertain what it is that makes them tick. You know, the success rate amongst um, business people and entrepreneurs and people that get to very successful positions is very low. And so we try to find out what the successful people have that perhaps the rest of us don't have. Lona von Schroeder has vast experience, amazing experience, great resume, ranging from large cap companies in aviation, oil and gas and shipping, to capital markets. Lona is also co-founder of fintech company Cashworks, vice chairman of Volvo Cars and a director of IKEA. Wow, that's pretty good. Um, brings back memories. Years ago, I was I did a lot of work in, in Sweden and I spent a lot of time at both Volvo and Ikea. In fact, I went out to dinner with the owner of Ikea at one point. I remember that quite vividly. Lona also spent 22 years at Molomersk, the world's largest shipping company, having served as senior vice president and she founded Maersk Procurement and Star Air. She's also CEO of Swiss-based Concordium, and they've created the world's leading open-source, permissionless and decentralised blockchain with built-in identity management at the protocol level. And we've spoken, we must have done 50 or 60 interviews um, around the blockchain and and um, cryptocurrency one way or another. And... Uh, it's all that's all so different, and there's um, it seems to still be a bit of a wild west. But I think Concordium is changing all that. Concordium enables regulatory compliance, allowing businesses to harness the power of blockchain technology. So this should be really interesting to all our blockchain and and um, cryptocurrency fans. Hi, Lena. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Um, Hi, thanks a lot. 
It's a pleasure. Um, it's a big change from Molomir's shipping company to blockchain. How did you how did you make that leap? Apart from that, yeah. they probably offered you a huge amount of money. <laughs> yeah. So um, when I joined Mask on the aviation side, um, aviation and oil and gas was really say uh, hot in the center and the core center of um, technology development. So I think that's the red thread that's the uh, cutting edge uh, technology. Um, with that understanding and that whole holistic understanding of businesses, um, I decided to learn more about blockchain, really got engaged in it, invested in Concordium and was asked to lead it as the CEO, which is so interesting. Um, taking the great visions of the founders of uh, Concordium, which is really to create a business great blockchain looking at why um, the Ethereum-based blockchains hasn't really reached uh, large-scale adaptation, really understanding what is, what is the issues um, that large corporations uh, have to address. Accountability, regulatory accountability is one, but also a lot of the technical features, so it does fit in uh, as one part of the business model the, the large corporations are working with. So this is not a, as big a, a, a leap as you might think. I see it as a natural development of my very early interest into uh, technologies. Right. The, it's, we speak to a lot of um, people involved in blockchain that are doing all sorts of things from delivering aid to Africa to... Um, organizing health fund health care and all sorts of things and it seems to be a bit of a wild west at the moment doesn't it there's very little regulation and mainly because governments seem to be way out of touch and don't quite get it um so what's the next step from a regulatory point of view do you think i i i would think for the regulator is really to understand um when you when when you do what we do is a base layer, uh, and then you can build all your use cases or steps on the base layer. But if you put certain uh, requirements into the base layer, which we are doing with our identity mechanism, so to say, we, we, we uh, will allow people to, to um, say, work in privacy with their uh, business transactions, but under accountability. So everybody identifies themselves when they use our base layer to build their uh, use cases on. You cannot build anything on our or function on our blockchain without um, having an identity pointer that could be your national identity office, just like when you get an ID. But you have an identity and then you can work on it. So to build this accountability in and, and for the regulator to understand, we can demand accountability um, because surveys shows that a huge part of transaction made on the legacy blockchains um, might um, have a, a, a anti-money laundering issue um, behind it. So to build in exactly the same demands for transactions, 
as you have for financial institution is naturally also to to demand on anything which is transacted on blockchain so sure. that's a new thing uh, you we have a technology which can provide that to the regulator so with all of the literally thousands of people working in blockchain around the world um what drew you to concordium what is so special about concordium and it, this is um, the most special thing. Um, the other thing is that we have been, say, architectured out of science with a deep understanding of what business needs are, what is it businesses need for, for functionality, for speed, etc., in order to build their um, use cases or uses as a part of their solutions. Um, and then we went to science uh, our own funded, our own research uh, center, blockchain research center at Aarhus University. This is called COBRA. And there we, we sponsor professors, we sponsor PhDs in order to do basic science around everything which is interesting for, for blockchain. Um, like they um, built our consensus layer, they built our finality uh, layer, etc. They, they are building zero knowledge proof. They're assisting us with how um, we can find a comprehensive message for doing uh, formal verification. So a lot of features which all together is built into Concordium and which by, by that is, is giving us this cutting edge blockchain, which is built for businesses, but with all the security uh, you need to have on a a scientifically proved level and I, I think constantly scanning the market and we had a deep discussion also with Gartners yesterday this is unique this this combination this holistic way of looking at things um, is unique you have thousands of blockchains um, built by very very good developers but that doesn't make it a robust science based um, blockchain you have a lot of blockchains built by um, the whole developer community, yeah. which which are very, say, cutting edge in the way they they think. But most of them have never worked in large corporations. They it it might not be so say tildable into um, into large large corporations way of doing things and and the um, prerequisites. So if you if you look at the last front front page, I think it was of Harvard Business Review, where they say the I, I, the AI powered organization. The main challenge isn't the technology; it's the culture. And I think this is ever so right. And so we have the technology and we have the culture because we reach all the way from, I'd say, disruptive hackers until um, um, blue chip. Uh, business people, and and that is what we build into our concordia. Lone, you've gone from success to success, and from major corporation to bigger corporations. What is it that drives you? Okay, so I, I I'm driven by interest in development, interest in things, interest in how you can constantly uh, in, enhance. Um, your businesses by applying different 
methods, the mixture between technology and and people in um, business creation is is fascinating me. Mm. Are you are you a technical person or are you just a fantastic administrator and CEO or how how much technical yeah, I, knowledge do you have? <laughs> yeah, I I've become a technical person as well. I'm not a coder, but I do understand exactly how to build fintech and how to build um, um, very complex software. Right. So I think I'm a very good product owner. What's What's the biggest challenge you've faced? I mean, as a as a woman coming up through major corporations, um, what's the biggest challenge been? So since I've not tried not to be a woman, I don't know how much um, the challenges are, say, due to that you are a woman or the challenges um, to move things, to, um, to, to get, say, the way to the market for product, uh, time to market, to to get that in place, um, to get your thoughts into a result of a deep process, to get your own process into other people's ability to operationalize uh, strategies. I think that's that's a constant a constant um, challenge. I know here in the United States there is a a real lack of women in not only the the technology space in general, but certainly in the blockchain space, seems to be very few women. Is that the same in Europe, or do you think that um, it's much more much more balanced men and women in in Europe? No, I think there is a lack of. I see a lack of of of, of women amongst our coders. Um, I see, I wouldn't say a better balance, but I do see on the science side it might be um, easier to find, but I wouldn't say easy. I think we have a single uh, female on our science team on on formal, um, on on zero knowledge proof, one of the leading um, uh, persons experts in the world, but it's difficult. I think it will come, though. Um, why, I what? can't say why. I'm trying to build in, in, in Concordium. We are trying now to build a culture which, which, um, which everybody can come into. And this is one of the things I, I, I hope is an advantage by being a female um, CEO, that things which the man's world might take so naturally and it can be small things like we go out on a Saturday morning um, uh, uh, bicycling together just to take an example. Well, it, it might not be available for women to do that if you also have um, your family and you have small children, etc. So is that then um, necessary in order to in order to be um, part of, of of, of the team, so can you also be a part of the team if you can't do that bike ride uh, on a Saturday morning, just to give an example. So be aware of what kind of, of subcultures are you creating in a company and is that available for everybody? 
Yeah. It can be another thing like what kind of language are you using? Are you using irony because you as a strong person thinks it's funny, but that might always have a victim. So I have over the years equipped me with a toolbox, um, which I hope is, is enabling um, a platform for more uh, broad and healthy cultures in the companies I work for. Does does the lack of women in technology stem from um, stem from college or from 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 the education system? It it's it might um, now if you if you look at say broadly all education, then um, there are more and more uh, women in in kind of nearly all subjects. Uh, but then if you look a couple of years after they have graduated, they tend to disappear. So it is not necessarily from the college. Um, it, it is after the college. It is the decisions women make or which the organization might, without knowing it, make for women. So what difference does it make Um in the blockchain space, for example, what, what difference does it make if there if there's not women? I mean, is it is it does it really make a difference? I think in the entire world, it does make a difference, and we we have different lenses um, as people. No matter if we are men or women, or what uh, we are, where we come from, um, what our beliefs are, etc. I think all businesses which um, are, are targeting, say, um, our society uh, should also represent the society. Otherwise, it's very, very difficult to cater, cater for the needs of the society if you don't really, say, represent the society. Yeah, I can understand that with, with society in general, but it, um, I imagine the blockchain space to be just a highly technical technology um, environment where I can't see where it matters whether it's a whether it's a male or a female because it's it there's there's no sort of emotional quotient in there is there or is there? So it depends. Uh, it depends what what um, um, why you make the code. What is the purpose of your code? So if the purpose of your code, like in our cases, um, to provide to provide a really, really good um, technology which eventually offers a toolbox for creation of uh, dApps and, and use cases for all businesses. Then it does matter to that that code and the whole way you, you design your software represents um, the world with all the different lenses you you are looking at from various parts of the world so a, a technology is not say our blockchain is not for the sake of the technology our blockchain is for the sake of creating that and therefore yes i i think it does matter now, if somebody wants to use concordium um blockchain is it is it a plug and play sort of thing or is there um how does it work yeah it would be when when it's launched 
um, on the mainnet, it's a plug-and-play. It's a very, very um, a good toolbox. Um, we put a lot of emphasis in the um, user interface. So um, one thing we have developed is our own language, smart contract language, um, which is kind of bug-free. And and if if you know how to do use cases, it's very, very easy to use that language. Um, and that language is linked to our goal of providing a blockchain, which is really secure and safe. The last thing you want is that because of the complexity of your language, you actually build in some unintended box in your smart contracts, which is disastrous, of course, since what you're making on a blockchain sure. is immutable. Yeah. So this comes with the whole concept. Plug and play, easy. People with basic knowledge of how to do smart contracts can easily do, and we even provide a set of standard smart contracts to um to use from from where i sit um it appears that thousands literally thousands of companies all over the world are getting into some form of blockchain um you know from banks to um, stock exchanges to insurance companies to even aid agencies and all an incredible number of people are using blockchain um how do you how do you get into the market? Do you think the market's still open enough? I mean, if somebody spent a whole bunch of money building their blockchain on Ethereum or whatever they've built it on, um, is, the, is the room left in the market to um, adopt a blockchain still huge? I mean, what, what percentage of the market are we in already? Are we at 5%? Are we at 10%? I know that's hard to get jade, gauge, but... No, no, no. You're at a kind of micro level uh, now compared to the... Um, compared to the... Um, potential. Uh, available market, yeah, compared to the potential. So it's, it's, you, you can compare what, where we are now with the very early years of the internet. Right. Say that we are in the early 90s now, I don't think anybody who were kind of building um, things on the internet um, at that point in time is is, is really around um, now. So uh, if you compare it to the very very early years of, of the internet, um, that is that is kind of where we are in blockchain. And and as we discussed in the beginning of our conversation, there has been no adaptation. But you also have to divert the blockchain into peer-to-peer, um, -peer, which is more like the hyperledger kind of things, and then public blockchain. So if we say Ethereum is a good example of public blockchain, that is um, still proof-of-work-based. It takes a lot of um, energy to, yep. um, to do the baking. So we the next-generation blockchains have in in my perspective say three re prerequisites in order to be uh, adopted one is it's it's proof of, of stake and and all the new ones are proof of stake so it's very light in energy uh, usage the other thing is that it it has to to be um truly immutable and very fast and and that is where our science comes in it's very important to 
to know how to do the cryptographic and mathematical approves. Right. It's not just for a developer to sit and, and test it. Um, it is really to have what we're building in this formal verification, which is also the way you test like NASA's uh, uh, software, very high demanding software. And then it needs accountability as the last thing, as we said, you can't have anonymous people doing a lot of transactions which everybody can follow and where analysis shows that this is really, really having um, anti-money laundering issues um, and you can't do anything about it because you don't know who have done the transactions. Yeah. And, and this is where our uh, sort of accountability come, comes in. So I think these three things are, are prerequisites for um, lifting blockchain from the level it's now at, I would say nearly at a hobby level, um, and then to a level where it's company-grade thinking, where it fits in to the way we have decided to structure the world with all the accountability However, how cumbersome that might be, it has um, developed out of, uh, of, out of various situations. And I cannot see a situation where a regulator could allow that you can transfer money um, in a very relaxed way on blockchains. But if you go to a bank and have your bank account and, and um, to run a bank, you have all this regulatory um, uh, demands. To adhere to you you simply can't have that duality in the systems so if if blockchain's really in its very early infancy how's blockchain how do you estimate that blockchain is going to transform the world what what's going to be the the big change and what industries are going to um to pioneer it so I think um, a pharma industry could pioneer it because, and I know a lot of use cases are being built um, for for um, provincy of of medications, for example. Um, I also think, and I, I I work as you know closely with the automotive industry, who are really pioneering in all aspects new technology. It fits very nicely in there. Um, I think blockchain will change the way we, we design things because you don't need the intermediator. And yep. the simple form of intermediator, that's really a person who just makes sure that two other persons could speak together or does know each other, etc. Um, but we are far beyond that now where intermediators are also giving um, certain, um, uh, putting up certain permissions uh, take banks now it's not for everybody to open a bank account it's also for the bank to look at does this make sense because now it's so costly people want to open an account etc etc it's that you have to pay a certain subscription fee and um, the platform you're subscribing to if we talk about um, any say horizontal platform like Amazon is developing into be your airport um, uh, uh, or, or um, uh, Baidu or whatever you have yeah. in the far east of, of platforms. Um, but there is, on all these platforms, eventually there is a single person 
um, who really is the decision maker. And blockchain is, is simply shifting power. There doesn't need to be any decision maker. It's, it's really democratic once it's totally decentralized. The users are the decision makers. And I think yeah. that's really a wonderful challenge for to take back the power so we don't end up in these, say, new conglomerates um, who are just so big that they can uh, control and 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 put up um, manipulates the word. Put up the whole, <laughs> yeah. So I I think that's the most wonderful thing with 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 blockchain. So what's the biggest challenge for Concordium? Now um, we we um, will successfully come into our beta, a closed beta, very soon. Actually, by the end of this month, um, then it's um, to um, make sure that we can um, uh, swiftly come from from that to our uh, public beta by making sure our our um, code is de- designed according to our uh, science papers and and that it's. Uh, fully say um, security reviewed right. um, but that process is, is running um, as it should and then we will launch our coin and of course um, that is really to, to get our message out and to hopefully find a lot of people who think this is very interesting to invest in our coin which is the GTU and um, then it, it's a long a period of time after that to show that um, this this is a blockchain people are building that this is a blockchain people are gravitating to um, be, because it's it's meeting the customers' expectations and demands. Is it a, if you're a logistics company, and I would imagine that blockchain would be fantastic for a, like a Merck, for example. Um, is it, a, is it a huge job to, to go from a legacy system to plug into blockchain and, and change the whole way you operate? Is that a massive job or is it does the blockchain sort of sort no, it out on the way? A, it's, yeah, it's not a massive job. And I don't think you would say it, it, blockchain is not um, necessary and, and public blockchain is not necessary for all parts of your business, but for certain parts. It provides new business opportunities, and indeed, um, it, it could also take a lot of your administration layout. And this is something large corporation or any corporation is is, is is really constantly working with getting that overhead down. And overhead also like soon as maybe even fifteen percent of 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 your revenue. So overheads are very very expensive. And if, if you can find ways to get overheads down and at the same time really grow new business opportunities, I think that's very attractive. Right. Of course, there will be um, a time where you, you will work with, say, maturing your organization um, to this, but one part of, of, of Concordium is now producing, say, easy, understandable material, how to get started, simply to get the sea level understanding what is it, what can you use it for, and then we will, um, after our mainnet launch, we will show a couple of, of use cases, uh, I think in the automotive industry, uh, but also on like global identification, things like this, just to show 
what is it? Well, what's the biggest what's the biggest challenge to widespread adoption of blockchain? Is it is it lack of awareness of of what it can do? Yeah, I think um, today it's that you simply don't have the technology which you um, uh, which which you need in order to um, to use it. So that's the first thing. Um, and we are providing the technology. Others are also providing the technology aspect. But that is the first step. That is simply to have the technology ready. The second wave is for companies to understand how they can use it and where they should use it. And um, that will grow from developers. It will grow from system integrators. And uh, it will grow from the CTOs of the companies um, understanding more and more how to build these new technologies together. And yeah. certain industries yes, will pioneer it, um, and then there will be the adaptation of it. Lona Fons Schroeder, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Lona's the CEO of Concordium. Um, which is a leading blockchain technology company. And to, for, to find out more about Concordium, go to Concordium, C-O-N-C-O-R-D-I-U-M, Concordium.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 415th Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. We're coming at you on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting right across the world from our studio in Hollywood, California. Now, labs are currently competing to develop, wait for this, brain implants, advances in cognitive neuroscience and brain imaging technologies have started to provide us with the ability to interface directly with the human brain. That's pretty scary. So computers talking directly to brains and brains talking back to computers, which then enables whatever action needs to be taken to be taken. Now, researchers have used these technology to build brain-computer interfaces And these are communication systems that don't depend on the brain's normal output pathways, you know, with peripheral nerves and muscles. In these systems, users explicitly manipulate their brain activity instead of using motor movements to produce signals that can be used to control computers or communication devices. Human computer action Researchers explore possibilities that will allow computers to use as many sensory channels as possible. Researchers can infer information about user state and intent by observing their physiology, their behavior, 
or the environment in which they operate. Using this information, these systems can dynamically adapt themselves in order to support the user in the task at hand. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. Now, BrainGate develops BCIs known as Utah Arrays, aimed at restoring mobility to people who have experienced paralysis, neurodegenerative disease or limb losses. The baby aspirin-sized Utah Arrays, baby aspirin-sized, you know how small that is, are surgically implanted into the brain's motor cortex. BCIs record neural activity and translate it to command external actions like sending text messages, purchasing products online, moving robotic arms to stack blocks, stuff like that, stuff that's pretty basic to us but big deal to people who have a handicap. So this technology could have non-medical applications as well. For example, people could control devices or drive their cars using their brains. That sounds great. Most people don't use their brains when driving their cars. Now, BCI can enable people with paralysis to directly operate an off-the-shelf tablet device just by thinking about making cursor movements and clicks. They don't have to actually do it. All they have to do is think about it. So three clinical trial participants with tetraplegia using BrainGate were able to navigate through commonly used tablet programs, including email, chat, music streaming, and video sharing. They messaged with family and others. Similar technologies have shown that the device can enable people to move robotic arms or to regain control of their own limbs, despite having lost motor abilities from illness or injury. Now, that is extraordinary. Two participants in this trial had ALS, which is a progressive disease affecting the nerves in the brain and the spine and that control movement. <coughs> Excuse me. The third participant was paralysed due to a spinal cord injury. They were able to make up to 22 point-and-click selections per minute while using a variety of apps. In text, they could type up to 30 effective characters per minute using standard email and text interfaces. One of the participants really wanted to play music again. Now she can play on a digital keyboard. Keyboard, How fantastic is that? Now, Elon Musk's Neuralink is developing, also developing an implantable wireless system. The goal is to implant devices in paralysed humans, allowing them to control phones or computers. The first big advance is flexible threads, which have a fraction of the size of a human hair. And this system could include as many as 3,072 electrodes distributed across 96 threads. Paralyzed people with brain implants have brought objects into focus and moved robotic arms in laboratories. Again, this is incredible. Paradromics, which is a company, I think it's in Canada, has created a nickel-sized device implanted in the brain and exchanges data with a computer to help treat chronic and severe mental disorders like schizophrenia. For example, a person who is blind does not have visual data coming into their brain. But paradromics 
uses ultra-high broadband communication links with the brain with the goal of restoring lost functionality like eyesight. Now, this could help treat diseases like ALS or addiction. This really is brain surgery. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. As I say every week, any bastard can do the ordinary. Walk out in the street. Everybody can do the ordinary. You don't want to be ordinary. So if you're always trying to be normal, you're always going to be ordinary and you're always going to be really bloody boring. You're going to be the person that as soon as you leave the party, everybody's going to say, Christ, that guy was boring. You don't want to be boring. In the meanwhile, while you're getting to be exciting, I hope you have a great week and continue to be successful because the alternative to success sucks. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting today from Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.